Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, I sit down with musician and super producer extraordinaire, William Orbit. I get to chat to William Orbit and I tell you what, what a chat it was. You're in for a real treat and we'll, we'll drop that conversation right in the mix in two secs. First of all, a few thank yous. Big thanks to Scroobius Pip. Everyone over at the Distraction Pieces Network, go check out all the pods over on the network. Big thanks to 76 for producing the podcast. Um, Huge love to you lot for just continuing to support the pod and and just get behind it. You know, we're, we're 400 episodes in, you know, still putting a couple out a week and... Yeah, the response and love that, that that comes back is 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 lovely. You know, don't get me wrong, I, I I get so much joy out of just doing this purely for doing it because I get to chat to people like William Orbit. Um, I get to talk about records with people like William Orbit, which blows my tiny mind. You know, I'm no broadcaster, I'm no presenter. You know, I'm just a, a an old dude with a lisp from from Essex, but I get to have these chats and the fact that. Once I throw them out into the pod universe, other people listen and then, you know, I get these little messages or these little likes on, on social media just saying, oh, I really enjoyed that. Makes it amazing. Like and so thank you. And um and yeah, there's there's loads more um stuff. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, go check out the back catalogue. You can hear me chatting to artists as diverse as Darren Emerson, um Fatboy Slim. You can hear me talking to oh Gosh, there's like I say, there's 400 like big rock and roll bands like um, Foo Fighters. Uh, you can hear me talking to Public Enemies, Chuck D. You can hear me talking to Idols, Suede, old school like 90s, um, amazing like bands such as like Cardio Unstoppable, Sex Machine, The Wonder Stuff. Um, yeah, all sorts of superstar DJs and oh, loads of stuff, actors. You know, I got to sit and talk about records with Maxine Peake, you know, with Joe Hartley, with Thomas Turgoose, with Michael Smiley, um, amazing comedians like James Acaster, um, Ed Gamble. <sighs> the list is endless. Go and have a little rummage and subscribe, then that way you won't miss any. They'll just pop up on your little listening device. Um, right, also, if you'd like to support the podcast, if you can spare a dollar a month, that's like 77p, I think, a month. Uh, that gets you um, on my Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash off the beaten track. And you get radio shows over there. You can watch all the episodes over there. You get loads of, there's, there's a back catalogue of hundreds of episodes over there. And yeah, and by, by joining up to the Patreon, essentially you're supporting the podcast and, and helping you know throw a couple of pence into the pot to to pay for the production and such and uh like i say it's uh 77p a month what's that 20 let's say 20 22p a, m- a week and uh and you get loads more stuff each week for that so um if you'd like to support us that'd be amazing um everything you need to know about the podcast the social medias and everything it's a really simple website you just go on there and there's literally about five pictures and you click whichever one you want and then bang you're in i don't know why i've just explained websites to you um it's off the beat and track podcast.com anyway i know why you're here please enjoy today's episode of off the beat and track podcast with the glorious william orbit 
Right, I've got to take a quick break in this podcast because I've got some super exciting news. Off the Beat and Track podcast is proud to go into partnership with the Cacao Bar from Hotel Chocolat. That's right. The Cacao Bar is not a chocolate bar. It's all the best bits of a chocolate bar put into a really exciting new alcoholic range. That's right. Gin, vodka, and a beautiful range of cream liqueurs. So one of the big bonuses of this partnership is obviously I'm super thrilled to have Hotel Chocolat working with us, but they sent me a great big box of this stuff. And I'm telling you, it's amazing. Go and check it out, www.hotelchocolat.com or over on the socials at Hotel Chocolat. But yeah, in the coming months, there's going to be opportunities for you to get involved with competitions with us, to win bottles of stuff. There's loads of exciting things coming soon, and I can't be more happy to say that this podcast is in partnership with the Cacao Bar from Hotel Chocolat. All right, let's get back to the podcast. It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Give me stew with him. Right. Okay. Well, look. I, I mean, sh- I should let guests know before we do anything uh, who I'm who I'm sitting uh, opposite today. Uh, William Orbit, how are you? I'm pretty good, thank you, Stuart. Good, good, good. Where are you today? Today I'm in London, West London. Lovely, lovely. At home? Yes. Yes, although I'm about to move to Italy, I'm going to be back and forth. Oh, lovely. I I literally got back from Italy on Friday. Uh, Where were you? I went to Rome, and uh, I'd never (laughs) been before. What an (laughs) incredible place. Blew my mind. The beauty of Rome is that it doesn't give up its secrets easily. You know, they don't floodlight everything, floodlight everything. So you can you can come across little gardens and alleyways. And the city, I'm moving to Venice, and it's the same. You know, you constantly yeah. see little exciting places. Yeah, yeah. That, but no, that, London today. That was so true. It, 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 I literally was, was was saying like every every road you get to, if you look left or right, it's like oh my god. Look, look what's just tucked down there. It was like it was, it was pretty magical. Everywhere you look was something really grand and, and beautiful, and uh, very different to what uh, what I get in uh, in in lovely Essex. It's very very uh, <laughs> very, very in the Colchester. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. Colchester's not too. Mind you, the Romans were there. Weren't they, they were. The Romans were they there. Were. Boudicca, yeah. Like, what did the Romans ever do for us? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Splitters. Okay. Hang on, let me get a big cough out of the way. Do it. I caught a, a stinking cold out in Switzerland. It's not COVID because I tested myself mm. loads, but there are such a thing as the common cold. It's still out there, and it's I think it still I think it's still there. Uh, uh, I even looked up brain fog. I looked it up because I felt my, I just lost my sharpness. Is this a thing? Have I, is, it, is that it? Am I, is it all over? Is my brain worn out? And I looked it up and it said, no, it's a thing. Because due to the swelling in the head and all the stuff, it actually slows your brain down. Really? Yeah, brain fog. God. Well, I'll tell you what, before we get on to the, the, the mm. playlist then, um, I'm always interested to, to, to talk about, I, mean, I don't really want to dwell on COVID and such, but I'm, I'm always interested and I always ask guests how they found that period of lockdown, like personally and more importantly, how did, they, how did you find it creatively? Well, when COVID first hit, I was also going through a bit of a crisis. In fact, I was in hospital when it all started, um, exactly at that time. So I saw the whole thing unfold from that story in Madrid or wherever it was, you know, in the news, the sort of third thing down the news broadcast to it being the top topic and measures being taken. I was actually in an institution at the time seeing it from inside. Um, Didn't affect me too much, but, you know, apart from the obvious, you know, long shots, queues and things. But I then got proceeded to get into a very negative place and it was like, oh, no, it's like all this bad shit that's in my life right now and and, there's, and then there's fucking covid yeah sorry for the language but that's that's how it phrased yeah, in my yeah, mind yeah. it was almost like if there was a reason to try and scrape through it's just been taken away by the last nail in the fucking coffin you know but over the period it's become i think a lot of us adapted and we work and we would do our covid projects and we just for realize how much we like working we've got zoom we appreciate little social moments more with people very much so and then now of course it feels like it's lightened up and we're doing all sorts of things we couldn't do before yeah. 
Absolutely. So personally, I'm not scarred by it, but I think a lot of people are. The ones we have to worry about are the ones with long COVID. Mm. That's a terrible thing. So some people haven't come through it at all well because they've got this condition, which took about brain fog. I mean, it's brain pea super, basically, for years. Young people, too, can have this. I mean, we have to take care of them and understand it's a condition. It's not, you know, when somebody's saying they've got no energy to get out of bed and they just can't think and don't do anything nice for themselves even, you, you just, it's a really serious condition that needs to be taken seriously as a medical condition. They're not just in in feeling low or they're not just feeling like shocked as they had this disease. It's a real, it's a real, I've had years ago, I had a bout of chronic depression, a chronic um fatigue mm. after some very very stressful events it went but sure as hell i know one thing it's a real deal so people with long covid need to be really looked after yeah they're not they're not being they're not putting it on okay but that's not what we're here to talk about Stuart. no no let's 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 um let's look at the the, the joys of music and and i'm gonna start your playlist uh, William, with uh, track one, and I'm going to ask you, please, to tell me the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro, please. Get off with two T's by Prince. <laughs> it's important to notice that it's two T's. <laughs> <laughs> I know because Apple's not very good at spell checking you. Where Google's fine, YouTube's fine, it works it out. Get the spelling right, which with Prince takes a bit of, you have to pay attention. But I mean, seriously, it's like, what is that? It's the most commandingly petulant intro yeah. from the get-go. And it just goes into this funkiest groove. And the thing about Prince is it's so in the moment. Everything feels like it's just done in a moment. I think he's the most decisive musician. Mm. I used to get multi, there was a period when I did some remixes and I never met the man, I wish I had. Although I got very friendly with Wendy uh, from from the from the his band, still yeah. am today. Love Wendy, but Wendy Melvine. But um, I used to get multi tracks, and typically with twenty four track recording at the time, you know, you squashed it. They were always full. Every track, you know, there'd be a track given over to time code, and then twenty three tracks of audio. And you know, people have done their best to squash it all into the tracks available and bounce it together. And it's like running out of tracks. How can we find another one? We'll have to bounce it with prints. It'd be seventeen tracks used up, and the rest are empty. That's decisive. Yeah. So, how, I'm also interested to know how did you end up working with Wendy? Because like the, the revolution and Wendy and Lisa just, just absolute geniuses in their own right. No, I know you should watch Wendy play. She can do anything when she sits at a drum kit. I mean, well, I, I was working on this. I've known Seal as it happens for a very long time. We'd known each other before he was famous. Then he got all famous and did the thing with Trevor Horn. And I got asked by Warners to do a remix and it kind of turned into a production. And I had this studio in Crouch End. And Trevor and Jill came around, his, his then late, his late wife, and said, why don't you come out to our lovely place in Beverly Hills where we got all the tech? And foolishly, I agreed. I should have stayed in my own place. This is the place where I knocked out Ray Light, you know, my own yeah. little student in Crouch End. I foolishly went, agreed to go over there. Got a ter- took enough colds. I got a terrible cold. I wasn't in a great space. I wasn't loving it. Um, but Wendy was my salvation. I never chatted much with, uh, with Lisa. Um, but with Wendy was just brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And she was so nice and funny and cool. And she encouraged me to go down to KCRW and do some stuff that I wasn't going to do. I was just too pooped, jet lagged and not well. And she was just wonderful company. And I, I fell in love with her on the spot, you know, and she's just marvellous. And we've stayed friends to this day. Her twin sister, Susanna, wrote with me a while. But Wendy is always good. And just to get Wendy's take on anything, because she's just so funny for starters yeah. and smart. When it comes to sort of putting music together, uh, and I want to talk essentially about the intros now, like the, the way that, you know, cast your mind back to, you know, the work with Madonna and, 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 and your work uh, as, as as a musician, in, you know, with, with Bass and Mac, et cetera. The way that people got <coughs> their music back then is very different to how people get their music now. So I'm looking at the way that young people have very, very, fast moving thumbs and the attention spans are very small i mean you've chosen intro like get off which is instant call of arms um when you are working on music now is that ever a consideration the trends in how people are finding their music on apps like tiktok and to get on spotify playlists it's you know you've got to hook them i know that's there's always been an element of you know give them that perfect three minute pop single or whatever but yeah. how much 
do, do, does it enter into your creative process the the, the sort of trends that 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 you know of, of... i'll tell you the answer to that i'll quantify it for you i'd say about half of one percent <laughs> perfect answer I mean, look, I do know this. I've heard, I've read articles where people say the pop song is changing its format rather than it being the strict, because they got longer and longer. Sure. There was, you know, pop songs were under three minutes. It got longer and longer. And then you had this rigorous structure that you that were meant to adhere to intro, mm-hmm. verse A, 1A, verse 1B, bridge, chorus, outro, verse 1, 2, verse 2, middle eight, you're doing chorus. Yeah, yeah. And um, nowadays, I think people are far more loose with their structure with um how pop songs are structured but the idea of that brevity is great for its own sake it's always good to see where you can cut down you, you know you want a track that with every bar counts and there's no repetition but there comes a point when you can't shorten it because that's how long it is it's like a story you don't get to say to an author it's a great story you just written, but you need to take it down to 300 pages when he's handed in a perfect look it's good to edit the novel it maybe it's it needs some editing. There comes a point when it's right. You don't at that point say, "Yeah, but we've still got to knock off another sixty-five pages because that's the limit." They'd be like, "Well, I can't. Yeah, it's perfect as it is now. It took a long time to get to this point." And I, I feel the same way about music. It's like don't don't twist yourself in knots trying to trying to outthink it because you know don't. Um, as far as the mechanics of making music, of circulating it, of working with people, sending it around, buying it, I'm I'm just right there with. The kids, you know, like we all are. I mean, that's what I do. We don't hark back. I don't barely have vinyl, for instance. I love sure. it. I mean, I, I spend a lot of money on music, and it's all done buying MP3s and streaming, all the same as everybody else. Mm. And then the mechanics of making music, it's great that we can send files around so quickly, but nothing's really changed, to be quite honest, in my point of view. Mm. And I bet you it's not – if you took any young kid – with the fast thumbs out of their environment and you send them back 30 years and put them in a studio then no, the fuck, after after a day they'd be like right this is different we'll make this work for us too yeah absolutely i'm going to take you back for track two william i'll ask two. you please to tell me the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you please so as you're not i see why you're wanting me to show because you're not saying what they are i have to be the one to say it so here's my list and it's very clear this one it was elvis presley in the ghetto i was 13 years old born in 56 it came out in 69 i'm a winter baby i was 13 and i was in my local Woolworths in north london moping around very limited amount of pocket money i was obsessed with stationery so i you know that's what now now there is a, a an indicator of my age and generation because stationery was the thing oh, william uh, i'm 49 records and stationery was everything I was absolutely fucking besotted with stationery shops. <laughs> <laughs> but you only had a limited pocket money, right? So oh, spend it really carefully. I could afford one barrel marker a week. That was it. There you go. I bet you <laughs> cherished it. I remember. St- I remember stealing. I remember getting a job in the station in the kind of like stationery department at my school, just so I could steal notebooks. <laughs> and then I would sell them. I would sell them to other stu- other. I would swap them for lunch money. For lunch, for the I would swap pads full of paper for people's lunch packed lunches because i was a, at 13 i wasn't a happy child i really wasn't and i was in i would have been in a funk i wasn't a happy it wasn't a happy time and i remember being a woolworths and this song came on and it just pinned me back i didn't even know elvis presley i wasn't brought up in, i was brought up in an environment where only classical music got lived at home elvis wasn't probably knew who he was barely that um and this song came on so i didn't know who it was and it really threw me because it, the injustice came across. It's the first time I ever thought of injustice. And I also thought my own problems aren't really very big. Because I believed in it. I believed in what he was singing about, the boy that gets, you know, is born on the wrong side of the tracks, doesn't have opportunities, gets into the wrong crowd, and his mama cries, you know, and I believed it. And I just thought, shit, there's a wide world out there where there's some, some things are really wrong. And I, it took me out of myself and my own little misery bubble. So... And then the music was so beautiful as well, of course, and the sparsity of it. It just got me. What would have been the emotion if you, you had to sort of pinpoint it? Empathy, I think. You know, we, we learn that, you know, when does empathy start to sort of like filter into the consciousness of a youngster? You know, it's, it's, it's often with things like music. And I, I think that's something that, that it, 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 and it is, it is, you find it through music a lot of the time, I think. And, and you saying that, do you think that was like the first time that, Obviously, you'd been exposed to music, you know, 
music's everywhere, but some I think you get to a point where you hear a song, and all of a sudden, it just it's it's something different to what you've heard before. It's like oh, hang on, like there, yeah. there, there's there, and and it's the emotion, I guess. But you know, that all of a sudden it resonates that music isn't just this sound that you get that you know that, yeah. that's there. There's, there's if you're a human being and you've got a pair of ears and you keep them open, there's going to be periods when something is a game changer. Yeah. It's just the way things roll at you, you know, and the cultural changes and something's going to come along that you did not see coming. There's like increments of music when things gradually get better, but there's always going to be something that blindsides you. Yeah. You didn't see it coming. You never predicted it. I, 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 I never been a lyrics person, particularly in songs, pop songs. I've always, it's about the music. Although I brought up in a family that is reveres poetry. My father was an English literature teacher and poetry was his main means of expression. Yeah. I love poetry to this day. I'm a very avid poetry fan. And yet I often like a piece of music totally divorced from the lyrics, which I know is not all the way. You know, I love a song and people are like, what is it about the message of the lyric that gets you so much? And it's like, I don't even know. It's, I, I'm sorry, I switched that out. It's the music. With this song came up and it was like, no, I'm hearing the lyrics. I'm really hearing the lyrics. So maybe that was a thing as well. It's like, I'm hearing a lyric that really is speaking to me. Yeah. You, you mentioned... Um, you find- Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I've been a teacher there. So that kind of leads us on nicely to, to track three. And I'm going to ask you, please, William, to tell me the song that reminds you of your time at school. <laughs> Well, I, f- I fell in love with Jimi Hendrix at about that age. Um, buying records was impossible. There was no, they were just too expensive. I mean, it was eight weeks pocket money or three weeks with a grueling paper round. So you had to have a friend with a brother that had a job that would buy records. They were so expensive. It's very hard. And thank goodness it's not like that. I mean, look, nice if you're a musician and earn money from music, but I hate the idea of people, you know, not being able to have what they want. And there wasn't the radio access. We were starving for access. And this friend of mine, whose brother had Cream and Pink Floyd and Jim, uh, Frank Zappa, Captain Beefheart, it's joy to go around and listen to his older brother's records. And then this friend came to my house one day and said, oh, you haven't heard this artist called Jimi Hendrix. I don't think you're going to like him. And it's like, well, first of all, that's a challenge. Yeah. Come on then. And uh, uh, within two, two bars, I was in love and became obsessed with Jimi Hendrix. And then not long afterwards, I'm in a chemistry lesson at school. So I'm about 14. It's 1970. So when did he die? I think, you know, I was 14 or something. or just turned 14. And the teacher actually said, this chemistry teacher said, oh, Jimi Hendrix has died. And I think most of the class didn't really um, have much reaction to that. Nobody, but I was gutted. It was like, no, no. And then, of course, I set out on a whole mission to get to know everything, Jimi Hendrix and, and so forth. And it, the, the, the track that was playing at the time that was sort of always there is Hey Joe. Yeah, what a record. And what, you know, I mean, I've, I love the chord sequence. I love the bass line. I love it. I don't, look, I don't endorse the message one bit. <laughs> you know, goes out and shoots his girlfriend because she's been playing around. It's like, excuse me, that's not okay. But that song... 
it's just so certain. It drops you right into the pocket of this blues groove and this sonic whirlwind. And the guy just died. I already just started to get to know him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I never got to meet Jimmy, you know, and just, oh. So it, remind, it reminds us, you know, I can literally smell, because chemistry, chemistry uh, classrooms always have a smell. Mm. I'm sure they still do. And I can smell that smell. What I mean, how was school? Was school something you enjoyed? No, I hated it. What? Why? Um, I felt it was a human filing cabinet. It was didn't, wasn't interested in me. I was I was hungry. I spent my entire life when I wasn't riding around and getting into mischief. I was in the local library, and it felt like there's a syllabus you've got to adhere to. And and I've got I'm fascinated by it, but it's not engaging with me. And I, it just wasn't the best school. We just say that. And I was out very. I was out. I left young. What did you want to be when you was a young man? <sighs> well, I always thought I'd be a scientist of some kind because there's a lot of that in my family. I always assumed I would be in some kind of research because that's what I read in the library. I mean, I was so up to date on rockets and stuff. It's not football, not girls, not sport, not music, <laughs> rockets and, 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 and astronomy. I mean, I was obsessed gas chromatically this was the 60s so it was you know it was astronomy then and rocketry hadn't gone landed on the moon yet but i was i knew every saturn rocket and i would i would spend summer holidays just feasting on all of this and i could go to i remember going to back into school and mentioning it to a teacher and they'd be like yeah yeah but you know you need to kind of study the syllabus and I, it just crushed me yeah so i wanted to be a scientist and then i gradually knew i wanted didn't know what i wanted to do got all sorts of jobs and i realized no i want to be a creative i want to be somehow creative how the hell do i do that and it hurt like like you cannot believe the pain caused of wanting to be creative and having no idea how to get into it but did you feel you had a, a skill set of sorts to to or, or, or just a mind that could have got you know opened that door like because to go i want to be a creative and not having a plan that's tricky, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, I know it's not it's a bit, it's a bit, it's a bit, uh, it's a bit one, isn't it? Explain I, that to the careers officer, will you? Well, I, <laughs> <laughs> it's my, well, it's a bit like those people that come up to those uh, quiz shows, those uh, talent shows, like, you know, Britain's Got Talent. And they'll say, it's my dream. It's my dream to do this. And it's like, yeah, but it's, it's like, it's not enough. Yeah. You don't deserve it just because there's a dream and i i was acutely aware of that that nobody owed me i was not entitled to anything i didn't know anybody you know no no access whatsoever no equipment access yeah. no people access no cultural access nothing and but i always had ideas i always was never sure they always came to me ideas always come I, when i was a kid i'd just lie in bed and i didn't i thought everybody did this but i used to make up classical symphonies in my head because that was always that was the music that was always playing in the house and i would literally lie in bed and to put myself to sleep would just start off on a symphony that was I would make it up in my head with all the orchestras. And and the same when I would get out a piece of paper and draw some phantasmagorical space station or something like that. It was never short of ideas. But the idea of being a professional creative seemed like an alien. Yeah. I just knew that I wanted to do something that left a mark, and I was bitterly, bitterly frustrated with all these jobs I was doing right till I was 23. About till I was 23. So I had a lot of life experience, learned how to look after myself, but it, well, my, my, my heart wasn't in it. Yeah. And then I fortunately got lucky. A certain set of circumstances ended up, you know, with this band, with this deal, with this guy, Mars Copeland, and I never looked back. It's like, oh, my goodness, I, I don't ever have to – I can – I never have to get into trouble again. Yeah. I never have to – worry about anything other than being this and I'll manage to get by and I'm very grateful that I can now be a creative person and feed myself off the back of that once you've got there you stayed there and created a, a an incredible career and you know working with you know the 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 the, the, the biggest uh and the best and and I just want to ask you from having that kind of moment you know, as a, as leaving school, just thinking, I want to be a creative, but I don't know how to do it, to, you know, sitting in a studio with some of these absolute superstars. Do you ever get in any kind of imposter syndrome? Oh, yeah, all the time. Yeah, especially with music, really, yeah, I do. I know what I'm good at. I mean, I'm very good at arranging and, and, and sounds. And I've got a fabulous ear because I don't, you know, it's all done by ear. But I do know that 
I'm never going to be the writer I want to be, the songwriter I want to be. I'm never going to be the performer I want to be. And a lot of it is 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 trickery. I use a lot of trickery. I use computers. I use cut and paste. I, 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 I'm like more like a film director who kind of turns with a lot of CGI, you know, to make what I want. I know what I want to make and the picture I want to paint, but I'll never be... Someone's going to, is going to find out that I use a lot of, you know, trickery. I can't play keyboards for scratch. You know, even I can write complicated piano parts. So I do feel like the, the imposter syndrome, it's only recently I've just learned to disregard it. And yeah. Even now I need a bit of, I need a bit of assurance. I know I shouldn't, I shouldn't admit to that, but I do. Yeah. I can't ever read press about myself. Really? I just can't. No, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's like a phobia. So sorry. <laughs> so really, so if, you know, if you was to get a, a questionable review, would that literally break your day? Well, I try not to read them anymore, but yes, it yes it would break my year. I did a classical symphony. I wrote I wrote an orchestral. Scratch the word classical. I wrote an orchestral, very ambitious, far too ambitious orchestral symphony in nine movements. You know, with a huge augmented orchestra and choir, and I performed it in um, Manchester. And there was one review that was pretty pretty um, cutting, and it just threw me. I didn't. I was like, I don't want to even look at that again for a year. So I learned, don't read them. Because it's the classic scenario. There's nine people say something nice and one says something snarky and it's like, who do you believe? Yeah. So keep away from all that. Absolutely. It's a fierce, it's a fierce, fierce world, you know, of, of critiquing. And then it's like people can be, you know, people can have a dash of a pen. And it's like, do you know what? You will love doing what you do. Just keep doing it. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's other means of getting feedback and how am I driving than looking at press. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. William, for track four, tell me the first song you remember buying from a record shop, please. Well, it was, as I said, I didn't actually buy records because I couldn't afford them. I borrowed them and I put them onto my little tape recorder, which I had, a reel-to-reel, or I swapped them. There's a couple of swapsies going on at school or, you know, bar- bartered them. But the first one I went and bought was really, really expensive. And it, was, it was the album by Simon and Garfunkel called Bookends. I'd already heard the album and I just wanted it because I was obsessed. And it cost so much money. I don't know, 15 shillings and sixpence. That's 75p or something. Mm. But it was, in those days, it was so much money. And I, I, it was the first time I listened to a record really for the lyrics. And to this day, I'm a huge admirer of Paul Simon in every way and his lyrics. It was never rhyme, but in the song America, everybody knows that. You know, where is Saginaw? Where's the New Jersey Turnpike? The bit about his bow tie, um, you know, these two young, I really got me, these two young people on the grey house. I didn't know any of the, re- the geographical references. It was very alien. In the 60s, well, early 70s, America was a very different country. Yeah. You know, there's all sorts of things which seemed, many words for things were different. So you didn't know that, oh, this means the same thing, but it's a different word. So very alien. And yet there was this allure, and I loved the idea of this couple going across the country like that in love, you know, and it, it really made an impression. And then the one about the child on the ledge, and the whole record just got me. Yeah. Oh, America's a beautiful, beautiful record. There's beautiful. a lot of wonder and, and magic to to Simon and Garfunkel. And I, I, a lot of wonder and magic. I like that. A lot of wonder. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you've... As, as I mentioned, you've obviously had a, 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 a very impressive um, career in a ridiculously difficult industry. Um, tell me about William Orbit and Drive. Are you driven? I'm really driven. I am super driven. I know I'm the mild-mannered, you know, ambient dude. But man, I am driven. I can push myself very, very hard. And I will push other people in a creative way. Though I like a, I like a happy ship. I always like a happy ship, but I will push people creatively. Um, the drive did diminish um, for a while, up to re- a couple of years ago. Well, the drive to do music did. It, it, it found itself in other areas like painting. But I'm, yeah, I'm really driven. I always have been. I always, I, you know, how do you suppose you get to have a prolific body of work? It means you're prepared to stay and do a, pull a lot of all-nighters yeah. or a second all-nighter or cancel something really nice because you just, you put the thing right front and centre above everything else. Unfortunately, sometimes in front of family. So, you know, you have to sort of realise that some other people may have suffered on the way as well from lack of, you know, family fit love. But, um, yeah, no, I'm very driven. What drives you now? 
the quest for beauty, the quest for, for uh, the next thing. Um, I wouldn't mind being a household name. I wouldn't mind a bit of recognition at this point in my life for the music. Yeah. I mean, that's numbers. Uh, Matt, that's numbers. It's, it's literally me going, well, I've only got X, you know, a trickle of, what do you call them? plays on spotify i wish i had a trickle with a few more zeros after it just so i knew more people to listen not to the money yeah. i just wish more people could hear my stuff yeah and there's a whole why why don't they and it's like i'm just beginning to find out now there's a whole mechanism you have to work very hard in a whole different area of endeavor yeah you make the record and it's like now you have to go and work it and i've never done this before in the past yeah i've just let things i've coasted i've let uh, i've been very driven to make the music then i sort of switched off into 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 the neutral yeah. Now I've got my foot on the gas all the way. Wonderful. <laughs> For track five, I'm going to ask you, please, William, to tell me the song that soundtrack your years clubbing. The thing about clubbing is that that does cover a lot of time. I mean, my first clubbing experience was like Camden Palace in the 1980 or something. So that's New Romantics. Tell me about that. I, I, um, I run a club in, in uh, Raylene Essex called, it used to be called Crocs, that was. Um, that's now called the pink toothbrush but that that was the other club outside of london that that was where depeche mode were the residents oh, and your zoo yeah. and and culture oh, yeah. club played their first show there and and so it was very much we did oh. have a crocodile in the club which is surreal but uh that was uh, at the same time as blitz and, and club for heroes and such so I'm, I'm fascinated by that that period um and tell me a little bit about kind of clubbing in london uh, around then well, it was very flamboyant. Um, there, there wasn't this sort of mixed culture where things were seamlessly mixed together. Um, and that's not because it was vinyl, because it's been perfectly possible to mix. I mean, we all know how to beat match vinyl if we were that certain age. It was more the fact that it's not what it wasn't called for. So the tracks were more eclectic. What people wore was really crucial. I never felt I fitted in. I've never felt I fitted into any movement, but I never felt I fitted in. I was just there... I'd go home frustrated. It's like, I, I don't know how to be part of this. You know, I mean, I don't know. I'll just go and do back to the studio and do my own thing. I, I loved it at Camden Palace when Rusty Egan played my first ever single, which was called Prepare to Energize. And it was a very thrilling moment. And I see, I see him around. I see him around at the Groucho Club. And I, we always talk about that. But I didn't really feel part of it. And then clubs moved on and it got into disco. Well, no, actually, my first experience with the club was in Paris. When I first heard, I went there very young and was drifting around a bit there and getting into spot trouble, actually. And I, <laughs> I went to this place and they were playing Donna Summer. And it's like, what is this noise? It's brilliant. What I feel love. Yeah. Tell, yeah. tell me about the first time. As somebody that has well, that come out electronic music, tell me how... Well, there's nothing like it. Well, yeah, I'm just going to go to Google right now. Let's. Do, I, what's it called? I feel love. Let's yeah. take it out. I feel love. What year is that? There you go. Seventy-seven. So I would have been twenty, nineteen, or twenty. And there I was. There I was. You know, stuck in the city. I was living. I was homeless at the time. I was, my bedroom was the the um, jardins at the in the city the Ile de Cité so you've got that island in the middle of the Seine where you've got Notre Dame mm. at the Notre Dame end there's little nice neatly kept gardens behind the cathedral but the other end from Notre Dame is the these gardens which are just a little park and they were bushes and I would sleep there every night and the gendarmes would come along at six and turf you out and I was drifting around and I ended up in this club and that came on now, I don't know if I got the chronology right. I'm pretty right. I think so. But I just remember I've heard nothing, nothing, nothing like it. You know, just repeating, repeating, repeating. Oh, my God. I just, was. that was a blindsiding moment. But I mean, then I went through several eras of clubs without really fully engaging. I was never part, really part of the progressive house scene, although I had Gorilla Records. I was never really part of any club scene as in terms of being a bona fide flag carrying sort of member of a, of a yeah. subculture at all. But I did, I've seen it come and go. And the reason I, the track I'm going to pick, which is actually quite late in the day is the black eyed peas. I got a feeling. And the reason is because it's such a good party track and it's so inclusive. It's like, you can't have it on. A, the nicest thing is going, you go to a club with a bunch of people in a car or a, a people carrier, you know, and you all go in there and it's just lovely. The journey's as good as the club. And you put that on and everybody's singing and doing the moves, muzzle tough. And that's, a, it's a really good inclusive track yeah. with a wonderful vocal. And, and, and uh, um, Fergie does this great vocal. It's just, I think it's a wonderful piece of dance music, full stop. 
Excellent. So I would always say, well, that's, that could be a good one to put on if that's the only one you've got and you're going out, stick that one on. Absolutely. Absolutely. I asked you about drive a moment ago, William. Um, one of the other things that... Drive and improv, because I regard life as one long improv session. Okay. So you've got to be, have drive. You've got to be prepared to steer. You've got to be able to steer at a moment's notice. Definitely. You have to be pretty, you've got to be a bit adept with, with where you take it and be prepared to, prepared to shift quickly. So that's... Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Perfect for what I want to ask things. So I want to ask you to tell me about confidence. Tell me about your relationship with confidence. It's, it's, uh, it hasn't been a, I, I would say I've been a confidence kind of gimp bitch for a lot of the time. In other words, I haven't possessed a lot of confidence. Um, in some areas of life, I, I do. I do. Some areas of life, I, I, I'm aware that I don't particularly regard myself as having confidence, but I'm aware of how little confidence there is around me. And that's more of an inter- interpersonal type of relationship, sure. my confidence with, with, with knowledge, for instance. I mean, having parents as teachers... Okay, I didn't have a good education. I left school, but having parents as teachers does give you a confidence to to trust your own in, uh, kind of intellectual um, instincts yeah. and so forth. I think it's like having mathematical upbringing. You trust you to to trust your own. Um, a lot of people are afraid of, of mathematics. They don't trust their own answers. They they could probably get to an answer in their head quicker than they think, but they think that can't be right, and they get confused. Well, mine is comes with the creative business of interacting with other musicians. I never really was successful in a band. That's why I learned obsessed with tape recorders and learned how to do it all myself. And to this day, I mean, I, I'm not going to put myself through it now, but doing those songwriter sessions that I went, kind of briefly got into when you're getting with a bunch of young people, right? I, I, was, I had no confidence. I was frozen with unconfidence. Imposter syndrome was really cramped my style. So there are some, so for instance, I'll give you, I mean, I'm, I'm writing a couple of uh, short screenplays and one of them is about this, uh, this kind of cast of really needy people that surround an artist. There's the neediest ever photographer, the most needy ever, uh, most sort of emotionally sort of, uh, you know, stylist, uh, director of photography. It's funny. It's a comedy, you know, and they're all the, the, and I, I, the DJ needy, you know, it's like the DJ is so, so needy that they have to have plants in the audience telling them each track is, was that okay? Yes. Well, that's actually me DJing. So I can walk onto any stage. If they said, right, tonight's speaker can't make it. They've got COVID and their second one's plane isn't uh, taken off. Anybody here can get on stage and talk about anything and be like, well, I'll have a crack at that. No fear. I mean, that might, my only fear would be boring. Don't let me be boring. If I'm boring, take me right off now. But I, I'm no fear. Whereas DJing gives me the willies. I get so terrified. That's why I'm not a natural DJ. It's a responsibility. I love it. There's yeah. nothing sexier than getting a floor full of people moving and they're screaming. But I get really nervous at it. Yeah. You know, even if it's two people. Because I, I don't feel I'm the greatest DJ. I can read a room, but I can read a room comfortably and confidently when it's a matter of discourse, say. But when it's a matter of, Picking the right thing to play to people who just want a party. I'm aware that I'm surrounded by people that are better than me. And quite often at a party, somebody be like, oh, William, play some tunes because you're William Orbit. So you're bound to be good at that. And I'm like, well, look, you may have been, you know, you young person have been playing tracks for the last hour. It's your loving doing. They're loving it. We're loving it. I'm loving it. We're all dancing. You carry on. I'll just, I'll just, so you don't want me there. You carry on. Do you want to carry on? Yes, please. But that's how that turns out. So it doesn't bother me anymore, but I'm aware of, and the other thing is the, is the ebb and flow of when you're working on a track, how you can, everybody needs to know this ebb and flow. So you, I'll say, I've said it a lot, but basically you can, you can easily go from thinking it's the best piece of music you've ever made 
it's an absolutely stinking turd. And this can happen. You need to know this is going to happen. Your own perspective will shift radically. It's part of being creative. So confidence is a fickle mistress, I think, in creativity. You get too much, you're smug. You haven't got enough, you've got paralyzed. So what do you do? You have to kind of work with it. Stage fright. I know all that. It's part of the dynamic of what we do. You mentioned about uh, you felt you wasn't comfortable in bands or confident in bands. Um, and so, you know, you, you, you've gone and worked on your own. Like, do you, do you think that, is that a control thing or is that feeling inadequate to other people in the band or like what? No, I tell you what, I tell you what, it's because I don't mind being, I don't mind, I mean, I'm very happy to be outplayed by guitarists or out, you know, I love that. I love yeah. to, if I'm around a good, I mean, I'm just, I'm adoring that. They're playing, I mean, pure and simple. But I do spend a lot of my time wanting to organise it all and produce it and get it in shape to the detriment of my own rehearsal time. So I'm never rehearsed. You know, one of my recurring dreams is that I'm in a play probably Shakespeare and I've got a major part and I've not learned my lines. That is a major recurring dream. And um, it's a lot to do with that. You know, I haven't prepared my own stuff. So it's muscle memory because I, I agree with the Andre Previn school of, uh, you know, musicality is like practice, practice, practice until it's muscle memory. And then you can do, and then you can just shift into, then you can start to build on muscle memory it's not rote. You're not just performing it like a machine. You can build from that muscle memory place into your exalted place of, of, of expression. And if you don't get to that ready, you know, where, you know, knowing what you're doing kind of thing, uh, you know, what chord comes here? Oh, dear, I've forgotten. It's my song. I wrote it. I can't remember the chord. You know, it's like you lose your confidence. Yeah. Having said that, though, Matt, I've had this recently. I've just, I just really want to be in a dad band. <laughs> Sorry, did you just say dad band? Yeah, I wanted to get together with a few mates. You know, I might do drums or I might do bass guitar with a bunch of us, probably in Venice, right? Because that's going to be living. Yeah. So uh, 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 a papa band, you know, and I, I want to just make, I want to be in a local band and we do a little residency every Friday night at some bar and we're really shit and we probably play covers. I'd love to do that. <laughs> do it. That'd be joyous. You should go no. for it. No. All right. Well, look, I'm going to take you home. Um, not take to Venice just yet. But for track six, tell me your favourite song from an artist from your home county, please. Look, I mean, I live in Westminster. I was born in the East End and I live in West London. I'm a Londoner. It's a bit of a big, big pot. I mean, it's not, it's all right if you're Blur and you live from Essex. It's like you just mentioned, you know, Colchester. What county are you talking about? Greater London. It's like that's half the music business. I mean, well, what do I choose? But I really love being a Londoner. I mean, I know I'm about to move to Venice, but I've also been, I love London. I've, since a child, I love that I'm a Londoner. I love London. It's my favourite city by far. And I do find myself singing, maybe it's because I'm a Londoner. It just comes out. Yeah. And I thought about this song and I thought, do you know what? That's my favourite song by any artist. Presumably they probably are Londoners. It doesn't have to be. If you lived in London for 10 minutes, you're a Londoner. But the thing about that is it's like that could have been a Blur song. Oh, 100%. Right? You can imagine Damon singing that yeah. as a Blur song. <laughs> maybe it's because. So maybe it's because I'm a Londoner. Lovely. Lovely. And if I was going, if I was on the tube, right, going around the, you know, town or on taxi or somewhere in the street and some busker's doing that, it's going to be in my head all day long and everybody else is going to be whistling it on the bus. Yeah. Tell, tell me a little bit about working with Blur because, you know, obviously they're hometown heroes for us and, you know, we're fiercely proud of, of uh, Blur's Essex roots. And, uh, <laughs> We, we haven't got a lot. We got Dep- we have actually. We got Depeche Mode and the Prodigy as well. We shouldn't. We shouldn't. Uh, we we shouldn't sell ourselves short. But um, yeah. I'll tell you a secret about Damon. Do it. His mum. I think his mum was an art critic or a gallery. So Damon. Damon was brought up in a family that knew about art and mm. stuff. I wish. It, I mean, you know, it's like it's a bit like when I was bemoaning the fact I've got no education, and my friend will turn around and say, "Yeah, but your parents are both teachers, William. Shut up, you were lucky." And it's like, "Yeah, true." And it's like Damon, you know, it's like you're not just a sort of like a, a, a local yokel who sort of like you know cracked open the art. You 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 were born into a world that yeah. got art and could talk about it. And that's a bad thing, but yeah. thank goodness for our you know. Anyway, but, but what about him? Well, no, um, it's, it was Damon specifically, just sort of seeing. Um, you know him him develop as an artist you know it, it's prolific what he's he's achieved oh it's astonishing you know? and, and I, I just want to know what it's like 
being there working with him in in that creative process oh it's very it's very exciting working with damon i mean sometimes you will i mean maybe he can get a bit excitable I mean, if he's running up and down an eve mixing desk you know because he's so so excited with his lyric damon perhaps you shouldn't run up and down a mixing desk because it's it's it's, it's fragile or he's in tears because yeah. he's just brought himself into but it's wonderful working with damon he's also very generous in the studio not quite so easy to work to read when it comes outside the studio with tracks his demos are often very oblique you hear them and you think this is a mess i can't hear a tune and then before you know it it's like known as one of the most beautiful melodies i've ever heard he's a brilliant composer that man and his voice to record is a joy because it's got this special quality it's like a choir and he sings in his high register falsetto as you would call that which is you know you don't get enough falsetto with male falsetto in my opinion in pop um you would have done back in the days of motown of course He's got a beautiful falsetto. It's very, very complicated sonics. And you never know what's going to come out with it. It'll just like you're in the studio and you'll be like, I know. And he'll just dash over to some instrument that's in a corner and, and be like, where did that come from? It's a joy to work with him. You mentioned he was generous in the studio. What do you mean by that? Um, well, he was very generous to Graham, actually, because Graham was being quite a pig. And, he, you know, he gave Graham a lot of, you know, said, you can have this, you can sing the lead on this song, Coffee and Tea, you know, let's, let's bend over backwards to make it work for you. You know, um, Graham was going through a difficult time. Not anymore. But he's, he's, you know, he's, he spreads the energy around. He spreads the love around in the studio. You know, I think he likes to hear other people do well in the studio. Now, it's, it's accepted that he's going to do that. He's the, he is, first of all, the boss. It's his, it's his, it's his uh, project. That's how it works. Mm. Fair enough. That's how it works in music. It's 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 hierarchical. It has to be, and except the fact he's probably can do best, but he can do what he does better than anybody else there. But at the same time, he's really happy to just bring everybody in if, if there's a mood and getting banging on things and playing and being part of it. He's very good at getting good things, and he likes to collaborate too. Yeah, and the fact that he's so successful at collaboration indicates that people like to collaborate with him. Yeah, and it indicates he's good at it and enjoys it, and that's my experience of Damon. Yeah. Who have you not collaborated with that you'd like to? I wouldn't mind doing something with Shakira. You know, we know each other, but we've never worked together before. I'd love to do something with her. But I, I don't, you know, I get asked that a lot. And to be honest, it's really somebody that's got um, a desire to try something. Maybe they just send me a rough demo. I, I, the list is endless. I, I, I mean, I, there's very few people. That I, that I, there are one or two. It's more... In, more more to the point is ones I wouldn't want to collaborate with because I just cannot think what I would do. I mean, I listen, I've been, I've just discovered a, a FKA Twigs. Yeah. And a couple of people have said, well, you'd, you'd be a great collab. And I'd be like, yeah, but I don't know exactly what I would do. She's doing without, fine without me. What do I, what can I bring to that? I've just listened to, I'll just listen to it and be a, an avid um, fan. There's quite a few artists when I'm like, I just, will just listen to them. Thank you very much. They don't need me, you know? So I haven't got an answer to that. Sorry. That's all right. Um, well, you can be. I, will, I probably will start again because I've been off the music for a long time. Then I've done my record, mm-hmm. which of course involves collaboration. And I did a previous thing with uh, Andrew Beats. I think now what's going to happen is probably a couple of productions will come in. The, uh, the bad news is for anybody that's working with me, they're going to have to come all the way out to Venice and stay in my flat. Oh, that's rubbish, isn't it? I think I know. Go to Venice, God. very hard. That. <laughs> they're going to have to get off the plane. They're going to get off the plane, all, all tired from their trip, and they get little. They've got to manage a fifteen-minute boat ride straight from Venice Airport and a fifteen-minute drive to this square. And they've got to hop into this gondola up the Grand Canal, down a couple of side canals, right into my back door. I know it's tough. Life shit for some people, mate. It really is. <laughs> what a rough day in the office that'd be. <laughs> All right, look, it's your last track, William, and I'm going to ask you now to be a uh, tastemaker, and uh, and it's your chance to tell uh, somebody about a song that you think many people may not know that you would like them to hear. Well, I'm going to I'm going to do something naughty, and it's going to be a song in which I was involved, mm-hmm. and I'd forgotten about it, and somehow I don't know how it was, but I ended up, as you do, tootling around YouTube, uh, came up the last final episode of the first series of this tv show called the oc oc standing for orange county about teen uh, you know young love i never watched the series um but it was very very beloved of a huge demographic who've now grown up and the song i did with finley quay and beth alton called dice is playing right its entire length and it's pivotal to see now in case anybody's about to embark in their first um you know the binge watch 
the OC. I'm not going to say what happens because that's be terrible. You know, somebody out there might be like, oh, I've always meant to get round to watching that. And so it's very beloved. So I'm sure it's going to be a good watch. Last thing we'll do is tell you how it ends because this, this is the very end. But it's, if you would know how it ends, um, dial up, all you have to type in is apparently is D-I-C-E space O-C. Boom, up it comes. Or the track's called Dice. And I just think, I've, I've done a couple of versions of it recently. I even did one with Madonna singing on it, even though it'll never get released. Yeah. And I just thought, I think that's a bit of one that got away to a degree, and uh, why not? Have a listen. Do you know what? I hadn't heard it for a long time. And when I got sent the list over, I was like, because when I first heard, um, when, when, when Finley Cake broke through with, with Maverick Strike, that, that record blew my mind. It blew everyone's yes. mind, didn't it? It was such a huge record there. Um, and, uh, and then I thought, oh, Dice. And, and I put it on and I was like, oh my God, I've not heard this for a long time. Uh, it's cracking. It really is a cracking track. Um, tell me about what that was like working with Finley at that point. Well, I, I had started the track with Beth Orton. It's one of our many, many, many tracks that we've done. I mean, she and I have a whole repertoire material that's never been released i should do something with it one day but um i was on holiday in a lovely holiday with my girlfriend in hawaii and she had a really good ear um her name's tracy and she had a very good ear she introduced me to some really cool stuff and she was obsessed with finley quay and she's playing it all the time so of course i fell for that album maverick a strike because she was playing it all the time and in the conversation subsequently i remember having a conversation with I can't remember, with her, maybe with a label. It's like, who should we work with? Let's reach out. Just, why don't we just try and reach out? Who do you like at the moment? Finley, let's reach out. So somebody reached out, got in touch, made it happen. Came over to my, well, I was living in a hotel at the time. He came over to the hotel where I was living. He recorded it. And then it got done. And then I got an email. I think emails had just come in. And I had an email from uh, somebody saying, can we use your track in this uh, important pivotal episode in this TV show? And Well, yeah, of course you can. Um, didn't really give it much thought after that, to be quite honest. But that's how it came about. Wonderful. Well, we make it really easy for everybody that uh, may not have heard that track to go and, and, and listen to it, as well as all the other tracks that we've spoken about today. Williams, we put together a little Spotify playlist to accompany the podcast. Lovely. Um, William, as we... I'm just going to interject and say that it's been a pleasure to do this when there's been such a, 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 a defined brief. Okay. And interesting as well. Like, you know, the one about it, 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 it spurred some interesting recollection and things like the first song you bought from a store, the song that reminds you of school, the, you know, their first emotional impact. These are great questions, oh, really. Listen. Sorry, I interrupted you. You were going to say. <laughs> no, no. If you want to compliment me, I'll shut up and I'll let you carry right on. <laughs> uh, no, it's, um, I, I just want to know. You know, as as you know, we, we, we've waved goodbye to COVID. It, so it seems, you know, in, in regards to it, it putting the sort of brakes on events and gigs and 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 you know, studio spaces being open. Oh man, I had I had a I had a friend who worked in the lighting business who's you know ended up stacking shelves in Tesco. Now actually, she really enjoyed that. There's nothing yeah. wrong. There's nothing wrong with stacking shelves in Tesco's. That's a, it's as good as job as any. Nevertheless, it wasn't her skill set. And that's what happened to a lot of people in the yeah. theatre, the theatre world. I've got a lot of friends in the London theatre world. I mean, man. But yeah, carry on, carry on. And so, yeah, I just wonder now everything seems to be back to a, a you know, a, a new, a, a normal. Um, what are you looking forward to personally from the rest of this year moving forwards and what's going to be happening professionally? Well, you know, we've got to remember, we now know, we know global pandemics were always something that could happen. And there's a lot of people in the scientific community and uh, who, who were warning of such a thing. Then it one did actually happen. It wasn't like we all died, like in a lot of movie scenarios, but everybody knows that it could happen again. Once bitten, it could be worse. And so something could happen out of the blue and we're all hiding under a rock again. So everybody's, I think, a bit more like, let's appreciate now a bit more and not to assume it's going to be like this forever. It's one of those scenarios. It's a situation that's going on with the war in Ukraine as well. Everybody's a bit like, we need to regard uh, life as transient. You know, things can change. But I, I'm not going to let it, I'm not going to let such thoughts, uh, um, you know, stultify what I've got ahead of a great year of visual glory and uh, musical glory. I'm looking, I'm going to be living in Venice in basically what is going to be a, an art, my own personal art studio, music studio, creative place. How nice is that? Riding around in boats. I, it's, I'm treating myself. Yeah. 
And I'm treating to myself to a few things in life and including sort of relationships and just living the life I want to lead. So I'm very much looking forward to it because I've denied myself it stupidly for so long. But I think a feast. I'm going to have a feast and I, I, I and people are welcome to come along, come on board. Oh, wonderful. William, it's been a real joy talking it to you today. It was fun. Thank Great. you. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Mr. William Orbit. I could have chatted for hours. Like, I, I, I chose to not go and ask the Madonna questions because I'm sure that, that William's probably been asked that in every possible interview he's ever done. Um, I wanted to ask about Prince. I wanted to ask about Blur. You know, and, and just th- things like Finley Kay, like how these things happen. And, I mean, if you don't know any more than what we've spoken about today, about William's career, just go and Google it. It's ridiculous, like, what that man has done. His creative output is prolific. And, uh, yeah, and what a joy it was to talk to him. Um, I really hope you enjoyed that. Um, like I said at the beginning, uh, if this was your first time listening, go get stuck into the back catalogue and, and go and explore all the other wonderful chats I've had with these adorable people um i'm back next time in the meantime yeah go check out everything you need to know about the the, the website uh, sorry the podcast at the website off the beat and track podcast.com have a lovely week i'll see you next time much love bye-bye it's off the beat and track podcast on the distraction pieces network you've made stew with it